0: I wish Amazon's prices were a little bit higher and the shipping was just a little slower. So you know these things. But if it's
1: like a, hey, here's how to hack the
0: Kindle system and blast your book to number one,
1: that might not work. Do you feel you're wasting money you could be keeping in your pocket? Well, many private label Amazon sellers don't even know where they're wasting money, let alone how to stop it. And if that's you, we can help. Our new online assessment helps you identify your biggest Amazon profit killer and what to do about it. For a powerful and quick diagnosis, go to AmazonProfitQuiz.com. That's AmazonProfitQuiz.com to get your instant free analysis straight away. Hey folks, this is Michael Veazey from Amazing FBA Podcast for Amazon Sellers. I'd like to introduce an episode from our sister podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, which has got a slightly broader remit for all e-commerce sellers. In this deep dive episode, Jason Miles and I deep dive into a key e-commerce topic. Hope you enjoy the show. If you would like resources and links and other help, to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 401. But I will fully take yeah. credit for that. Is retail arbitrage dead?
0: It is not dead. It has changed, okay, it has tell changed us about dramatically. It. Oh my gosh. It used to be when I got big in retail arbitrage, it was when stores had terrible inventory management systems. So they would have like way too much product for way too long, which would go on clearance yeah. and just. So you know, incredibly discounted clearance. That you almost don't see anymore. Just the move stuff, right? As companies were growing and the we just clearance it out and get rid of it. So I've gotten better at that, which has changed the game. When I first started doing it, there was no iPhone, right? There's no scan power app. There was no Amazon. There was none of that stuff. You had eBay completed auctions that you could write down some notes, then go home and look up and then go back to the store. It turned out to be a good deal kind of thing. Now we've got Keepa and it, the amount of data that we have to make a buying decision is insane which I yeah. think people don't realize how good it is. But for retail arbitrage being dead, the only thing that would kill it is that people stop buying physical products. A hundred years from now, when everything's like metaverse and NFTs and all that stuff, like, I'm not going to be around. So, I'm not really worried about it. In the foreseeable future, which is where I think people should play, it's not that people are still buying physical products. The pandemic showed that people love to shop and spend money even if they don't need the stuff. They want to get that stuff delivered. Should have bought some stock and yeah. UBS and FedEx. So they were certainly busy and they're inefficient market. And I blame or I attribute the inefficient markets to in the sense of as time goes by people are going to want to buy products get into different things learn new things and the morbid side of it is like people pass away and all of a sudden like all their stuff where is it going to go someone's going to end up on eBay someone's going to end up in thrift stores we could buy it and then you sell it on eBay there's always going to be this opportunity where products are in the not the least efficient but not the most efficient location and there's an opportunity, thanks to the internet and sites like eBay and Amazon and Facebook Marketplace and all these sites where you can say, look, I have something here that should be in someone else's hands and they would value it a heck of a lot more than what it is doing here on the show. So you can use the internet to bring that value to them. And as the one who does that, you collect a little bit of profit on the way. Love it. What do you, you never really did retail arbitrage, but um, you get it. I did it right? one
2: time. <laughs> it's awesome. You didn't it's know my retail fun, arbitrage story, I bought items at office depot for a penny a piece they were stick on metallic oh, labels for like office windows depot you remember my story i bought 270 of those for two dollars and 70 cents and sold them for ten dollars a piece for three years when office depot was clearing, clearing clearancing out you know how they do they have their penny deals in the basket whatever before they take them off the floor but anyway to your point i didn't do it much and i do think it's a fascinating model though i've always been mesmerized by it i think there's always going to be opportunity in fact last night i was just looking at the uline catalog. And I was saying to myself, could you just take the stuff out of here and build a business reselling it? Like it, it would just come down to are you a good marketer and you could you set up a good click funnel or Shopify site? And could you take well, a few of those items for a niche audience or purpose and just mar- arbitrage it out? So you know, anyway, yeah, just so I, I, I love those ideas. So it's funny it's, you say that. I actually did that
0: back in this is the least 14 years ago, and I remember I was still in Texas when I was doing this, I had the Uline catalog. Uline was local in Dallas, which was amazing. So I, I took a trailer to pick up my orders. because was, wow, so many things. Uh, yeah, they didn't want to pay the shipping. Give me a break. But I get everything the next day. And I look at the catalog. And I was like, you know what? I could sell these bundles of eight by eight boxes. Like a 25. Bag. I made all these eBay listings. I probably still got them somewhere. Thumbnail image. This was back. Someone else take credit for. I invented the border thumbnail eBay image. We put the border around it. That was me. I was the first one to do that. I actually made a listing for eBay thumbnail border service. Send me an image and I will put a border on it for you. And I will send it back. And this is, again, at least 14 or 15 years ago. But the Uline thing, I've seen it. And this is a cool thing you can do if you have the Uline catalog, which is cool the first time, except every single time it's pretty much the same catalog. But usually, yeah, tough exactly. I've seen know. things on Amazon and on eBay where you can actually see they have a sales rank on Amazon. It's sold or reviewed, sold or completed listing. You know it's sold. you're like, that's from Uline. Then you go look yeah. on Uline and you're like, Oh, they're making $3.40 every time that this thing sells. Yeah. And they've sold 47 of them. And they're making over $100 a month on that one single product. And then you yeah. add 30 products like that. Now you're making three Like, you can see that you can reverse engineer it, which to me is the cool part where there's not this like mystery. And I think about people like retail arbitrage. Yeah. There's no barrier to entry. There's no minimum orders. There's no, you don't have any of these rules, except you can't always replenish the thing. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. now you get into replens, of course, but. In general, if you're buying clearance and these things, man, because it's, it, there's no barrier to entry, anybody can do it. So someone said, yeah. you know what, I'll flip those things for $3 each
2: yeah. and I'll do it for 2 dollars And then it's this battle, unfortunately. Okay. But I got another question for wrong. you. Yeah. Next question. I saw you post on Facebook last night that you apparently, I know this about you because you've told me before, but you like to buy expired domain names and do a little domain name, reselling business, or is that arbitrage in your mind? So my question is, what's your favorite form of arbitrage online right now? Any marketplace, any strategy, any That's type of thing? Point.
0: But my first reaction would be to say information arbitrage because it's scalable, I'm heavy on print on demand products like that, where you can turn information into products and sell them and market them at no cost to, to set up and all these things. A little bit more advanced. I don't think everybody's there yet mentally in, in the sense of understanding that they have something valuable to offer. At that one, and then turning that into a product, that two, and then marketing that product. It's a big kind of thing. It's a big yeah. process, but big reward at the end. And that's what my book is about. that's coming out at this month. Not to plug my book, but it's coming out this month. But the domain thing, domains, in my opinion, are like the original NFTs. I don't know if you had trouble explaining NFTs to somebody. My kids give me such heat about it because they're like, NFTs are not going to be big, dad. That's stupid. it's just an image. I was like, y'all are old enough to get this, but apparently y'all aren't getting it. NFTs are here to say and domains, I think are a great example of the original nft it doesn't really exist uh, it's digital okay. only
2: but it is if unique the, okay right. i had the same exact conversation with my kids last night are they a fad are they beanie babies or are they not and i use the example or corollary that isn't a song the original nft is not music An nft it's a digital asset it's unique no but they didn't like that uh, they didn't like that example either but like, yeah. Okay, but let's talk about can't your pop you arbitrage. Eat. Are you arbitraging NFT? Are you NFT biz now? Uh, of arbitrage I'm not, or? no no I'm not in NFTs, but I do
0: I technically own an NFT, but it was just like the support buddy kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not flipping it and investing yeah. and all that stuff. But I don't need It's been a weird to...
2: failure. Well in NBA yeah. Top Shots. I thought like a year ago, NBA Top Shots was the first NFT play and I was like, that if NFTs are real, this'll go somewhere. I've totally lost a bunch of money, but <laughs> Yeah. I bought some Top Shot and a
0: few hundred bucks. So there you go. Let's talk a little about NFTs because I think people miss, are misunderstanding, not just what they are, but the first like wave one, series one, issue one of NBA Top Shot. I haven't looked in a long time, but I am guessing it is still premium because it's early, it's first, it's original, it's OG. And that's the part of it. It's not the fact that it's a LeBron NFT and there's a different LeBron NFT. So this is the first one. And I think. Some of the things that are important are to remember that humans are irrational. Human put value on things that, if you really stop and think about it, do we consider this NFT, this piece of the blockchain that represents LeBron James? Now, why are we putting value on this? And there's plenty of people who would say, I put no value on it. And they are right for them. And there's other people who say, no, we do put a lot of value on it. And look at the high-end art world. That's not my world. I don't ever see myself getting into that world, ever, no matter how much money I make doing anything. It's not for me, I just, I'm not interested in, but other people yeah. are, yeah. and they use it for different financial strategies and all of these things. But humans, I, here's an example. I was just on vacation and, and a, a lifeguard, we were in Jamaica, this lifeguard came up to me and he really likes color red. And I had a red hat on and my red sunglasses on and my had red shorts on. He's like, I thought he was joking at first, but he wanted to buy my shorts and my visor. And my. we've been in Jamaica a ton of times. So this has never come That's weird, like, That's weird.
1: I just didn't think he was serious
0: <laughs> at first. Then he was, I could tell he was serious. I was like, yeah. you know what, bro? Like these shorts have a hole in them, but you can have them if you want them. Like I was trying to be like full disclosure. There's a hole in these shorts, and he really wanted he really wanted them. I was like, you know what? I can do that. Like I can replace these shorts. I can replace this. It was a Tampa Bay Buccaneers visor that I got off Amazon. It's replaceable. It's fungible. My sunglasses, to me, were not. They were custom red Ray Ban sunglasses with a custom case with had my name on it. My neighbor got them for me. They were special to me. Are they technically fungible? Yes. I could have bought a new pair. I could have given him that pair gone to the Ray-Ban store and bought an exact same pair. But to me, it's like, no, these glasses to me are non fungible. Meaning that these ones represent a gift yeah. that's been given to me, even though they can completely be replaced. And if you had the sunglasses, you'd be like, I don't care. I don't know where these came from. I don't care to you. They're fungible. And that's, you just have to understand that about humans. Like I know that yeah. they don't, I know yeah. that doesn't make any sense. I know my neighbor would actually be like, dude, I don't care if you give those ones away and get a new pair, like, it doesn't matter. But to me and to all of us, like all the books you yeah. have back there. Things that we have in our house, like that are passed yeah. down from generations or parents or how much of your kid's artwork did you save for way too long? Yeah. And we're like, oh, for pizza, I can take a picture of this potato and throw it away. But no, we hold on to because my kid drew that.
2: It's so, non-fungible. So your basic thesis is they're here to stay in some form Definitely of value. In, in some, some form, form of value. They'll mature. They'll, the use cases will change. contract The Beanie Babies are play. still here to stay. Beanie Babies are here. But the price relative to what you own is pennies compared to what they were at their peak of the market so is it a, is it here to stay but the price is completely irrational and gonna pop is it a bubble that's gonna pop no because it's, it's not the same thing it's not nfts as a whole versus being babies
0: as a whole nfts like being babies compared to nfts would be like the entire toy market including all the plush and all this is if you don't then if there's contracts under nfts there's artwork there's memberships there's books i'm trying to figure out if i have time to watch my book as an nft if you own this NFT, you can download the book. And if you want to, you can sell that NFT. Now you won't be able to download the book anymore, but you can sell it to someone else. And all of a sudden, hey, there's only a hundred of these, right? Now, all of a sudden the, the market is built where like, like people read it and then they put it back out there. And guess what? I get a little
2: bit of a cut every single time. I you look. ever gotten this book, uh, Breakthrough no, Advertising? I think Eugene we, Schwartz. I've seen it. I've, I've been told to read it. I think I bought it for $89, something like that And It's one of those books that is hard to get a copy of. And it's not in Kindle, not in Audible. And you have to get a hardback copy. And there's some books like that. Some copywriting books do that sometimes where they get like cuckoo. You've structurally did that on purpose on Amazon, but a lot of times older books will be like that. To your point, that's an interesting twist. I don't know. So let's keep going on, but I don't know, man. To me, the jury's out on NFTs, but here's what, in a foggy, fog of war situation, the operator's question is, how do I proceed safely, but not proceed? Because the Luddites lose out, but the people who are on the bleeding edge maybe lose a lot of money. But the question is, how do you stay in the game? How do you learn? How do you see what's happening in an ecosystem so that you understand if there is an opportunity, how to take it without being foolish or being duped or being a sucker? And that's the place to me where it's, okay, I'm going to learn, I'm going to observe, I'm not going to call it rat poison, which is Charlie Munger's famous phrase for crypto. I'm going to say maybe there's something here, maybe there's not, but time will tell and we'll see how it plays out. And I'm going to be a part of it in the future if it makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's a piece of cake. There's one simple piece of advice yeah. and I'll give credit to Gary Vee because he's the one who said it. Like you should only be playing in the crypto NFT space with money that you can afford to lose. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to lose it. You shouldn't be playing because we're in that super early stage and there will be incredible rewards for the right people making the right moves, and some of those people are going to make lucky, and some people are going to make unlucky moves. You got to remember that the FOMO. Like I feel, I feel the FOMO. But like oh, I should have got a bored ape when they were doing it. The... Dude, I saw mm-hmm. CryptoPunks. When they were like five grand. I saw Gary Vee's V Friends that were sitting there, nobody buying them for half an... They're now worth $80,000. Yeah. Yeah. Like I have that phone. Oh my gosh, I missed out. Yeah. I missed out. Now oh, I need, oh, get credit cards out and just do whatever I can to get in on these things. And oh, I saw Bitcoin at 60,000. I'm gonna get in before it goes to 100 and drops down to 30. People should only be playing with money they can afford to lose. And yeah. depending where your income level's at, that can be a hard decision. But the fact that we can join Discord servers and Facebook groups and read books and po- listen to podcasts yeah. and learn without having to have our money in the game. And you can pretend to buy Bitcoin. If you put $5,000 $5, with Bitcoin, would that have been a good decision a year from now? Yeah. And you could look and be like, you know what? It wasn't. Or what? It was. Yeah. And everything that I keep guessing on, I'm right. You know what? Maybe yeah. I should. Maybe I do have the confidence to put some actual money in the game. But hey, you might be wrong. and be like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I played with pretend
2: money and not real money. A pro tip just to, if you wanted to do that, if you wanted to take Chris up on his idea for doing a phantom set of crypto accounts, you could use cointracking.info app. Use cointracking.info. It's a great little app. It's very nice app. You can obviously, if you own crypto, you enter your assets and then you keep it keeps track for you in real time. You can just look. But you you can totally do that with just a fictitious set of phantom purchases just to see what would happen. What if I bought SHIB today or DOGE or whatever? Anyway, okay, I'm going to ask you another question. Totally different topic. What frustrates you the most about your own business and what do you like the most about it? Though so both sides of that frustration and enjoyment. Oh, you have to promise to answer it as well. Okay. Cause I feel like I'm doing too much time for you.
0: Okay. I get frustrated at the, there, there are so many choices and so many opportunities out there. So for me to make a choice about something includes choosing not to do 99 other things. And I struggle with that. I get hung up on that. I waste a lot of time on that. I delay things unnecessarily for that because it's not a these are good ideas these are bad ideas it's they're all good ideas and you can only choose which ones you're going to do you might not pick the best right idea and that constant oh did I make the right choice so what if I did this I don't I have a little bit of the ADHD overthinking brain kind of thing so it's not torture but I would like to turn it off sometimes and just commit to something so I've been trying to be a little bit better about that we use an example on one of the previous shows about like when you sign a five-year lease mentally you're five years in that building and five years in that business and five years. And then you can reevaluate in five years. With a lot of stuff that we do now, we can reevaluate daily. And be like, you know what? Let's do this. Let's change and do this. Let's flip around and do this. And it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Because there's massive amounts of opportunity. There's too much opportunity, which sounds weird to yeah. say. There is so much opportunity. So it can be frustrating to to have to choose which ones to do. And after doing this for 20 years publicly, I feel like I'm hitting that stride. Like, I know where I fit in. I know what I know how I can provide the most value to people. I know how I can bring in an income level that I'd be very happy with and all these things, but it took time. And I would always pass that information or that that advice on everything that you want to do is going to take longer than you think. So be patient, trust the process and remember, did you watch the Kanye documentary thing? No, I've heard it's good though. It's on Netflix. I think it's really good in the sense of it shows his backstory and his 20 years of hustling and trying and failing and being told uh-huh. no, and yeah. using his own money to fund things. Like, and now he's like this big star and people are like, oh, you must be like from a famous family. He's like, oh, but he's not. But being able to see it, we don't see that behind the scenes for most people. We just see them when they're making an Instagram ad with their Lamborghini and be like, oh, I want to do that. But you don't see the behind the scenes. The fact, what I like most is the fact that we can basically help people at scale and be rewarded financially for it. It's the most marketable business on planet. Hey, what do you want to do? You need help. You want to learn how to do this? I can help you. Great. Let's use the internet and the tools available so that I can help you get to where you want to go. It's a great feeling of internal satisfaction. And the fact that we get paid for it is even better. And you can certainly do it for free and pro bono if you want. Although my experience, helping people for free, the people who pay you to help them take more action and actually make more progress. I don't know if you've had a similar experience with that.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. But it's a mixed bag because a freemium model is one I've camped on for a long time. And really, so it depends on how you do it. Yeah, okay. So what do you like most about your online business? And then I'll answer these two. <laughs> that was like the, the what I do, it's a, the fact that
0: we can do these things, being born when we were born is <laughs> like dumb luck. No one chose to be born. So the fact that we're in the web 2.0 and 3.0 stages, able to help people at scale where normally you could help the people in your tap, but you could not reach the other people, you can share information. And the fact that humans are able to share so much information is why we've been able yeah. to collaborate and build such amazing things lately. So it's. Yeah. That's what I like the most. I would do this. So if I made way too much money,
2: I would still do this because I like doing this. Yeah, totally. Okay. You no, know, you're, you're just asking frustrate- questions, man. You're getting off the hook. I know. Right. What frustrates me the most about our online business is honestly very little. And cause I was in nine to five job for 20 years and uh, we wanted to be entrepreneurs and got to the point where we started to figure it out. And the more we looked at the business model of online Selling and the online opportunities versus a nine to five career, the more I realized I don't want to be a part of the nine to five career. But there comes a point when you scale online that you turn yourself into what you d- were leaving. So now I'm, now we have a company and now we are the employer. Now we're the ones who have set up the system by which other people work. And so it's come full circle. And I think that's the only, that's the only shadow side of being an o- online business is you have to decide. Do you want to be a kitchen table entrepreneur or la- laptop lifestyle and just enjoy good opportunity online? Or do you want to build a company and have an operating business? And those are hard choices because you then can create what you wanted to not be a part of, and you have to think that through. But what I like the most about it is I'm an educator at heart. I like to write, I like to teach. I like to build frameworks and outlines.
1: If you would like resources and links and other help, to do with today's episode just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 401
2: i like to just read books and synthesize information and it creates a perfect platform to be able to do that am i the best in the world at it no not even not even c list in terms of online educators maybe b list i don't even know but it doesn't matter to me because i enjoy it it's every day trying to help people learn, metabolize information, and get better at their game. And that's what I really enjoy. And that's what I think this opportunity exists for all of us. For anybody who wants to be an educator, the opportunity is incredible. It's just, it's never been better. Dan Miller is somebody I like and was part of his mastermind for a while. 48 Days to the Work You Love author. And he, when you go to his offices, he shows you his first Course that you created for whatever it was, Conan Doyle or whatever the Nightingale, yeah, sorry, publishing, and it was like an old-fashioned cassette and book thing. And educators of thirty years ago, that's the option they make something like that. But educators today, you could literally create a course in the next couple hours, have it online on beautiful sites, Udemy or your own site, Teachable, Thinkific, Kajabi site. There's no barrier to doing it. It's just understanding the process, learning it, and then getting better and better at it and uh, sharpening your saw or sharpening your ax and getting better and better at the process. And that's what I love about the great game of online selling broadly information products. Also, that applies to physical products and digital items as well. But anyway, that's my answer.
0: Yeah. No, that's a good answer. It's a, the, the two things that you said where I, fear, I feel people get hung up is one, realizing they have something to offer. They suffer from imposter syndrome, which my favorite advice to give people lately is it's good to have imposter syndrome because imposters don't get imposter syndrome. It's a good thing to have. So realize that, acknowledge it, and then be willing to put yourself out there. I talked to a guy this morning who was like, yeah, but there's other people who are better than this than I am. Like, so freaking care. That doesn't matter. There's always somebody who's better at something. They may not be offering a course. They may not be offering to help other people. They may not be writing a book. It doesn't matter. You don't have to know everything. And I don't like the phrase, you just need to know more than your students. You just need to be one page ahead in the textbook. Mm -hmm. I get it. Like as a, phrase. but I'm not a fan of that as a actual practice, but I think people need to realize that if you've got information to help people who are new into something where, Hey, if you want to get into X and have questions, I could answer those because I'm like intermediate. I'm not a pro, but I've I've been where you are and you could help them along. And they're gonna be like so happy and thankful. And they're going to financially reward you and buy your books and join your mastermind and attend your seminar, whatever it might be. If you can just answer their questions about a topic that you probably think is easy because you actually enjoy it. So you're like, I don't how do you guys not know this? They don't.
2: It still yep. helps somebody somebody shared the framework with me a long time ago. I read it somewhere and it was very helpful to me. And that was so there's different types of content creators. And one can be a reporter where you go and you report on what's happening. You don't have to be the expert to say what's happening on Shopify right now. You just have to metabolize information and be a reporter about it. The other one is you can be an interviewer. You can just go find the best people in the world and interview them. You don't have to be an expert to do that. The other type is to be a practitioner where you say, I've sold 3 million things this year and here's how you do it. But any one of those or a combination of all three of them creates a beautiful opportunity for sharing knowledge and educating people.
0: Yeah, it's basically you're curating information because there's way too much information. So if you can curate it for someone, it's basically a function or an equation of providing value to other people. Hey, I get value out of reading this summary of everything that's happening in the Amazon world these days. I'm on so many yeah. email lists about things they are like, oh. I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't had that, that, you know, write up, they're not written by sellers. They're not written by none of this stuff, by vendors and all this stuff. Yeah. So I, people need to figure out what they want to do and where they can plug themselves in and then get over themselves and realize that, wait a minute, I can do this and yeah. I might as well try. And first one's going to be the worst one, but
2: I'm gonna get it out of my system. And- exactly. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Next question. What have you learned recently that really blew your mind? About e-commerce, online selling, the whole game. Oh, that's a tough one, man. That's that's a tough on the spot question. This is not. It's not that it's hard. It really blew
0: my mind. I'm trying to, I've seen too many like amazing opportunities that had short shelf lives or short shelf lives and didn't, right? Oh, I got in too late or I saw an opportunity and I was like, okay, I'm gonna get to that someday. But it was such a good opportunity, it was almost like a loophole that like. Oh, yeah, we're going to shut that door. Like, we can't do that anymore. And I've got a few on the radar right now that I'm like, you know what? I ain't sleeping on these. I am hustling and getting these things done in terms of, like, exposure yeah. and marketing splash yeah. and all of these things, which I'm not super fearful that they're going to go away, but they could potentially go away. And I think people need to always fair- keep that in mind. Yeah. Amazon could shut down the FBA program. Amazon yeah. could shut down the KDP. I don't think they will, but if they did, I'm not going to, be able to stop it. I have yeah. to pivot into something else. When you see an opportunity, man, I got to go for it. And this is a lesson I've had to learn myself the hard way, unfortunately, mm. miss. But when you do a lot of misses and you're like, you know what? I'm not going to miss this next one and
2: actually take, take action. See, so, yeah, I'm trying to blow my own mind. Be like, you know, that's strange. It's really interesting the way you've just described that because I like the all in podcast. And recently they were talking about marketing tactics that burn out, where a Silicon Valley company will learn a growth hacking strategy or whatever. And they'll be like, amazing, this 10X or 100X are outcomes. And then a year and a half later, somebody else tries it and fail. And the reality is there's a season of life for some of these ideas and sometimes for opportunities online. And the worst thing you can do is hear about a five-year-old opportunity thinking it's still something that is and relevant. And there's nuance there where you have to figure out, okay, is this a timeless opportunity? And it is just morphing? Or was it a season in time that the train has left a station and there's a little bit of a discernment you've got to really you've got to learn enough to know what things are fads and what things are here to stay and what opportunities exist and i think that's an interesting way to approach the whole topic of new things that are coming out that might excite you or be an opportunity
0: Dude, I, there needs to be more content about that honestly of like evergreen opportunities yeah. versus you no know, one go read a book about google adwords from like 2007 like it could be completely irrelevant but if people have a better idea of, or being able to discern and check for themselves, okay, is this evergreen? Is that there's a famous Bezos quote that I use all the time where he's doing some presentation. What's Amazon working on in the next 10 years? We're going to try to offer lower prices and more selection and faster shipping because we know that's what people are going to want in 10 years. Yeah, There's no, no possible scenario where, it's, you know what? I wish Amazon's prices were a little bit higher and the shipping was just a little lower. So yeah. you, you know these things. But if it's like, a hey, here's how to hack the Kindle system and blast your book to number one, that might not work next year. And I think it's a cautionary tale to people who, like a company who does stumble onto a hack and get big built off of it. Then when that goes away, then they're like, oh, shoot, what now what do we do? Because we don't actually yeah. know how to yeah. get this big without stumbling onto a loophole. The biggest loophole that I've stumbled onto is, and not necessarily first, but early, I was early on FBA, I was early on KDP, I was early on Merch. Yeah. You know, Cause I enjoy it. Like I, there's plenty of things I was early on that failed too. Nobody remembered those, yeah. but I don't mind trying new things in myself out there. And I think other people should as well and not get held up like, oh, but what if someone like, doesn't like my profile picture off? I don't know, yeah. man, no
2: one cares. I think that's a skill set that you and I both have found our. what Pinterest Marketing was my early in marketing topic in two thousand and eleven, and I got the opportunity to write Pinterest Power from McGraw-hill. I learned in that process it was a traditional book deal as when I started with a blog, and two weeks later I had a traditional book deal. And what I realized was early in, and I didn't even understand how big a deal it was to be early in. And I learned through that process, when you're early in on a subject matter, all the traditional publishers are looking for content, all the big news article, blog article type sites are looking for content. The big sites like Udemy or other course platforms are looking for educators. And when you're early in, all of those things unlock to you. If you have a modicum of marketing skill and success to just put something out, it, you did that with retail arbitrage, obviously, and your leadership around that. My Pinterest power book did well for me. And then it turned into Instagram power book, which has been my best. My Shopify course on Udemy is the same example. I was early in six years ago. Yes. It was 2016. So yeah, that's a while ago. And now I have almost 40,000 students because I was early in on teaching Shopify. And so if there believed? is a trade skill. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like yeah, that's, yeah. Totally. that's the difference. It's not. So- no, it wasn't a gimmick. Oh. I was all in. I was like learning. Yeah. You use saw an opportunity. There. Yeah. And th- did anybody try to talk you out of it? The Pinterest thing to me was interesting in 2011 because people just didn't care about Pinterest. And even it's never become, there was maybe a 12 month period or 18 month period where it was so trendy, but it's never been the darling of social media and so people just didn't really ha- see value in what i was doing but once they would read the book or see my trainings they would be like oh my gosh it's a huge opportunity i think we're similar in this way that we're just we look for new they catch our eye and we see opportunity and we put them into practice i think the people around me get get used to me doing it well that's that's what he does he does the next new thing that he finds okay that's what i do
0: i got good advice for people that are listening the best way to phrase it, the Pinterest thing comes out and the opportunity in it, right? Now, I think people, when they see opportunity in something, I think too many of them think there's no opportunity for me. I'm not going to build a big Pinterest board. That's just not for me. Instead of saying, you know what? There's an opportunity here for some people, maybe not specifically for me, but just because I'm not into Pinterest doesn't mean Pinterest shouldn't exist. Okay. Pinterest exists. I can see how a marketing company might use this. I can see how a product company video. I can see how they should use it. You know what? I am going to share that information with them. I'm going to package up that information in a way that can benefit people who would be able to use the tools and the opportunity that Pinterest represents or anything else. And I've got a Facebook group where I did this for a while, where I just share stuff. Like The same for me, but if you're in this business and you want to do this, it would be amazing. And people got it eventually because it, it used to be like, oh, Chris, if it's so amazing, why are you doing it? I was like, because it has nothing to do with me. But doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's not a good opportunity for some people. Yeah, and it's absolutely. the most amazing networking. I don't know how many people I'll message say, hey, I saw this and I thought of you. And if I were you, this is how I would use it. You may have a better idea kind of thing. And people are like, oh, thanks so much. I did not know this existed. That's really cool. And I use my kind of curiosity, I, my enjoyment out of this. I like yeah. reading sites and new technology and all these things. But if something's not for me, I'll find out who it's for and let yeah. them know. And you build this network by accident because I'm just sharing, I'm interested. And I think there's a lot of people like me who just, haven't put that second step in there to be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to reach out and help someone. I'm going to spend 20 seconds and help somebody else with that, with the expectation that nothing may happen. They may not even get the message, but it might turn into something. And if you do that enough times, you can be like, holy smoke, I'm going to write a book about this Pinterest thing, even though not for me, but I'm going to write a yeah. book for marketers about how to use Pinterest and get out there being early to the market. And you know those opportunities are everywhere daily. You
2: just have to look for them and then decide and commit to doing something. I totally agree. Okay, man, let's wrap it. But before we wrap up today, tell us more about your book launches coming out. What's the deal? I'm on your list. I'm ready to... I'm ready. So what's coming our way? One of the eager students. The, the, it, it, I'm not trying to flex on it, but I do believe it's like, it's a little in-depth,
0: thorough. It's my birthday this month. So I'm like, do I do a birthday? Sp-? So this is exactly what we talked about at the beginning of the show. I have so many options. Do I relate to the book edition as an NFT? Do I... Release an addition with private coaching included. Do I blast it out at a low price offer and or do I go full price? Or do I run a challenge at the same time as the launch? I I have all these things going on. But it's close to being done. Just get the final kind of revision to make sure all the chapters line up and all that stuff. But it helps people or it shows people how they get some of the things we talked about here, helping them identify something that they're good at that can provide value to other people and then how to package it up into digital product format, which can of course sell digitally, or in my opinion, the best and most powerful way to do this is to take that digital information and read a book where you get access to the information, not just turn it on the words, but the stuff that you get in the course, you now get access to by purchasing the book. Now it's physical, it's prime eligible, it's on demand, it doesn't cost anything. Your marketing opportunities open up incredibly. It's a bit of a process, which is why the book is long. So it helps people get, I've got a chapter about imposter syndrome. I've got a chapter about Dunning-Kruger effect. It includes launching, it includes marketing, it includes all of the hacks and Good hacks, not bad hacks, but all the amazing ways that nobody is teaching about how to launch products through KDP and get instant exposure, yeah. possibly loopholes that disappear. That's one of the things I'm like, I got to get this out before this <laughs> potentially disappear. I don't think Amazon will get rid of it. The fact that they could makes me want to rush and get it out. It's really fun. And it's something that I could spend a lot of time talking about as someone who has gone from yeah. retail arbitrage on you know, all of these things to be like, you know what? This is where I could settle in and really. I could, I really enjoy it. And there's such a massive opportunity for people. Yeah. And it it comes out this month. So I'll definitely have some specials and some announcements and all that stuff. I'm trying to plug Plug it too much on the call. Plug it,
2: buddy. Plug it. I'm excited about it. I'm ready, willing and able to hear the plug, but I'm also on the list already to to learn from you. I, just as an outside observer, you pioneered a model. What was it? Probably six, seven years ago that everyone knows worked well, but no one else has done. That I'm aware of what by la- launching a big course as a book on KDP with the strategies swirled together with most people have done big launches on Kajabi or Teachable or Thinkific with Facebook ads supporting them. People have not done what you rigged up. And this book, I think if I understanding what you're saying, is going to teach people how to take something. And I have mine ready. I have this is my profit habits workbook. I have not published And I want to do it under your model. I'm going to be your student on this and learn how to do it in the way in which you're describing because am I getting it right? You basically pioneered how to launch a book, a whole course using Kindle and reap the massive rewards that can come from that. And I'm excited about it, man. That's going to be very cool to implement. Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been seven or eight years since
0: online arbitrage came out. And that was an accident. Right. Like I just, I was making this course right. and I already published through KDP. So I was like, what if I gave access? You know what? I could put QR codes. You know what? I'll make them unlisted videos. So you can only get them if you get the yeah. book. You know what? I can include this. And I did it. It, it was a massive, it was a bigger project than I ever would have imagined if I yeah. knew know yeah. how big it was, but never done it. Yeah. Um, and it worked really well. And I'm a little surprised and not surprised that more people haven't done it. because yeah, it's harder. Than my a, point.
2: Yeah. Uh, but once but it's, tried, also like, oh, not, thing. it's also not, it's also not, it's not a hack. But it's not a direct use case of KDP, and I think if people don't understand how to use KDP for basic use case, they won't understand how to use it for your advanced use case. And I think that's a piece that's interesting to me. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out and how other people replicate your model there. So anyway, I'm pumped about it, man. I'm really excited about it. Well, I'm glad to have an open book for you. Let's make some good stuff happen, and everybody can listen along and join us at the same time. Absolutely. All right. This has been great. Uh, Thanks for hanging out with us today. We broadcast this into our OmniRocket Pro user community, so you can watch the replays there. And of course, on the call-in app, which is growing and growing, it's an honor to be able to be on the call-in app and be in the top 20 in business as a podcast, and we're in the top 20 in technology, and we're top 10 in education, which apparently is a weaker category than business or whatever. It's fun to be in the top lists For the categories and next week we'll be back with the michael and kyle i would assume chris thanks as always for hanging out
1: if you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode just go to amazingfba.com forward slash 401 thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure amazon sellers I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.